Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,220 of the Bugle audio newspaper for a visual world with me, Andy Zaltzman, sitting in for myself this week, as I have done in over a quarter of all Bugle episodes, uh, would you believe? It's uh, 15th of February, 2022, and I'm uh, joined this week to provide the definitive truth on everything in the universe by, from London, Nish Kumar, and from Melbourne, Australia, Lloyd Langford. Uh, Welcome back, uh, both of you. Uh, Lloyd on the show for the second time. The first one he did was the, the live show uh, in, in Melbourne in December. Nish, I've lost count of uh, of um, your your tally. It's getting the Whoever does the Bugle Wikipedia page, whichever, let's not beat around the bush, complete f***ing nerd, keeps the Bugle, <laughs> the Bugle Wikipedia page updated. No offence, but let's be honest. Let's not, let's just, let's just, let's, let's not pretend there's anyone updating Wikipedia pages about podcasts regularly who moonlights as a jock. <laughs> let's just, I say that as one nerd to another. This is very much geek on geek violence. Uh, but someone is <laughs> definitely kind of the violence. best guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but someone has definitely been keeping a tally. And that is a use of a person's time. And I will not say whether I think that is good or bad. Right. Well, no criticism from me. I am a professional cricket statistician. Yeah. I have exactly, exactly point zero zero legs. What's that? What's on. that resting? Uh, oh, it's my case. <laughs> uh, Lloyd, how's um, uh, uh, how's Australia been since I uh, uh, jumped ship right, three, <laughs> three or four weeks ago? Now is it holding itself together without me? It's a far poorer place in your absence. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, my my daughter is coming along well though, and um, we had a, a maternal health meeting today, and um, the the woman uh, confirmed that her eyes do indeed follow you around the room. So she's <laughs> at least as right. entertaining as a decent painting. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you can want from a baby, isn't it? That's, That's why most <laughs> most people have babies because they're. You know, cheaper to produce than paintings. Lloyd, I absolutely so. love every single detail about what you just said. I love the fact that <laughs> yeah. I love your metric for what constitutes a successful child, and I love your metric for what constitutes a successful painting. I think we can all agree a painting is decent <laughs> if its eyes follow you around the room. <laughs> That's why I will not tolerate Picasso. <laughs> We are recording on the 15th of February. Uh, on the 16th of February, 99 years ago, uh, 1923, uh, Howard Carter unsealed the burial chamber of Tutankhamun. And it's been pretty much downhill for humanity ever since uh, Carter disturbed uh, King Tut's 3,300-year-plus slumber and unleashed the curse of the pharaohs. Now, 99 years on, we have Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, Ukraine teetering on the precipice of war, and everyone in the world arguing about everything in the world with everyone else in the world. So, next time you find someone having a very long snooze in a blinged-out box carter, let the weirdly bearded bastard be. <laughs> um, uh, that also constitutes our, our section in the bin, a special uh, King Tut uh, section, the uh, five-foot-six-inch pro-celebrity pharaoh, so-called uh, because he was very, generally very disapproving of stuff. Um, King Tut uh, was apparently going to be the official title of the head of the Catholic Church, but they were beaten to it by the Egyptians and had to settle for Pooper, as in party Pooper, which over time became Pope. Uh, that is uh, that is a linguistic fact. Uh, borrowed that from my sister. And uh, in our free King uh, King Tut section, we have a free curse. 
for you to uh, dispense to anyone you want, wish to dispense it to, um, singular or plural. Uh, here is your free con- curse. I condemn, insert your target here, <laughs> to suffer, insert your consequence here, for insert your time period between 10 seconds and all eternity uh, here. Uh, also, uh, we have a special feature on how to bury your loved ones without taking up 13 f***ing acres and requiring shitloads of quite expensive building materials. Uh, that section, in the bin! Top story this week, Ukraine is or isn't at war. Delete according to what's happening when you listen to this uh, this podcast. Uh, the latest is that Russia might be withdrawing some of its troops or it might be bringing more uh, towards Ukraine. No one seems to quite know. Uh, uh, Joe Biden and Boris Johnson have said a crucial window for diplomacy still exists and there is a glimmer of hope that war uh, can be uh, avoided. I mean... I'm finding this quite hard to follow because Russia continues to claim it has absolutely no intention of invading Ukraine. And obviously it might be entirely coincidental that 140,000 Russian troops all chose to take annual leave at the same time and go on holiday to the many resorts located on the Russia-Ukraine border. Um, uh, at, at the same time, the cards available for uh, the non-Russian uh, countries involved in, in this uh, remain uh, slightly limited to growling and uh, threatening <laughs> parking fines and all the Russian oligarchs who now live in central London. Um, uh, Nish is our unnecessary war correspondent. Mm, mm. Um, uh, how do you see the situation as it, as it currently stands? I mean, I think it's pretty indicative of how bad things are at the moment, that the best possible news we can offer anyone is World War Three may not happen this week. <laughs> that's, the re- that's the absolute silver lining uh, to all of this. Yeah, uh, as we record uh, on Tuesday, the, the morning of Tuesday the 15th, UK time, whatever fake time it is in that made-up country Lloyd lives in. Uh, I don't know. I don't know and will not learn. Um, but I, <laughs> I, it's, as we record on, uh, on Tuesday morning, they have started, there is some sense that Russian troops are starting to move away from the border. I, I actually didn't realise this. The number of troops at Russia's border is estimated to be 60% of the country's ground forces. I mean, how big are these training exercises? <laughs> it's most of the it's most of the army i mean it does beg the question if these really are training exercises how shit is most of the russian army that they've had to send over <laughs> half of them on a weekend to sharpen up their game but also if you're doing training exercises on the border of a country that you have an at best spicy history with it sort of is the equivalent of someone saying why would you think i was going to break your legs as they caress a baseball bat <laughs> it's the same uh, tactic that uh, I used to use when I was fighting my brother when we were younger when I would hold my face sort of <laughs> millimetres away from his and then when he would complain I would say mum I'm I'm, I haven't touched him I'm not doing anything <laughs> so Nish if over half of Russia's entire uh, military force yeah. is now surrounding Ukraine um, bear in mind how big Russia is yeah. uh, does that mean that there is a huge opportunity now for uh, an invasion of, say, <laughs> uh, the Kamchatka Peninsula <laughs> by British forces. Even, you know, I reckon if there's that many of them in Ukraine, I reckon like an advanced force of bugle listeners could invade <laughs> the Kamchatka Peninsula and possibly claim it for the Bugle Empire. I mean, I, mean, I think, I, I really feel like it would be a bold move 
uh, for Britain at this point in our country's history to try and do anything constituting an invasion. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vladimir Chizhov, the uh, Russian ambassador to the EU, said, uh, we will not invade Ukraine unless we are provoked to do that. <laughs> but that does slightly raise the question, what constitutes provocation, particularly when the personal thing being provoked is A, Vladimir Putin, or B, Vladimir Putin's Russia uh, as a political force. Um, he mentioned, you know, that there could be you know, attacks on Russian people living in Ukraine. But, I mean, knowing how Putin tends to be a little oversensitive to things and you know, judging him by how he generally deals with people or journalists or opponents disagreeing with them, provocation could be as little as someone in Kiev looking a bit sceptically at a bowl of Russian cabbage yeah. soup or some kid calling Stalin a wiener in a history class or someone speaking disparagingly about how smaller versions of a thing inside larger versions of a thing is frankly a bit of a weird thing to make. Um, He's one of the so, most easily provoked men in history. Like, Vladimir Putin is like a man on a night out in Croydon, just constantly <laughs> sharking the bar, going, you look at me, you look at me, you look at me. It genuinely is like the geopolitical version of being in the Milan bar, which is a Weatherspoons in the centre of Croydon and maybe one of the mouths that leads directly to the centre of hell. <laughs> I was talking to my partner Anne about this and she said that the Russians were going to wait until after the end of the Winter Olympics before they <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before they did anything and I can't quite fathom the logic in that I mean have they got like they've got like a monobob competitor that they're desperate <laughs> to to get home before yes. it all kicks off or I think that's quite possible. They've probably got some more teenage skaters, a pump full of uh, steroids as well. Um, uh, just uh, purely speculation, that, of course. And he obviously, the, he got a big chance in the ice hockey because the NHL players aren't playing for uh, uh, for America and, uh, and Canada. So, you know, it could be a, a, a gold for the red machine. So you can understand why he doesn't want to jeopardise that, surely. The British government continues to threaten, uh, to threaten Russia with sanctions. But those, uh, I'll be honest with you, those threats are as empty as my uh, Winter Olympics medal collection. Uh, because <laughs> since uh, July 2019, uh, donors who have made money from Russia or have alleged links to the Putin regime have given £1.93 million to the Conservative Party or individual <laughs> Conservative associations. So the Conservative Party taking a strong line on Vladimir Putin is a bit like me taking a strong line on someone who drinks oat milk and reads The Guardian. Neither of us is going <laughs> to piss off our key demographic. I think we we also need like a we need a better word or a more frightening word than sanctions because whenever I hear sanctions I just think of super nanny. <laughs> Wait, does <laughs> super nanny use sanctions? Yeah, yeah, she, you know, she 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 makes the children gives them little minor punishments and stuff. <laughs> right. So I mean I I don't I'm not sure I remember super nanny. What was um she, uh, she was the mother of Hootenanny. I, know that, um, <laughs> I only brought up Super Nanny because I wanted to make a very laborious pun about Russia being sent uh, to go and sit on the naughty steps. <laughs> well, that's, that is more than enough reason, Lloyd. I apologise. <laughs> no, don't apologise for that. Do no. apologise for that, Lloyd. <laughs> don't Your morality is c- no. corrupted. 
On the subject of corruption, uh, Transparency International, an anti-corruption group, identified uh, £1.5 billion worth of Russian money that is in London property, uh, most of which is held by shell companies in, in offshore havens. And uh, so, so it does, as you say, Nish, it slightly undercuts the British threats of, of strong... Yeah. Uh, as Nuss said in a bugle a couple of weeks ago, that Russia is a nation that spent seven decades imposing the strictest possible sanctions on itself yeah. uh, not that long <laughs> yeah. ago. Um so, I mean, really, beyond Premier League referees wrongly awarding free kicks against Chelsea, there's not a huge amount that is on the table, is there? Yeah, no, I mean, I really... It, it, it's fairly... It, we, we've snookered ourselves. We've absolutely yeah. snookered ourselves in terms of the uh, sort of willingness of Britain to turn itself into a global laundromat for dirty money. Um, uh, Putin and his uh, foreign minister, uh, Lavrov, had a very amusing um, filmed meeting uh, to discuss the situation um, for the cameras. And um, they had this socially distant meeting. Uh, and this, I think it was the same table he met Macron on, uh, which is a... I think it's known as an RFLT, which stands for Ridiculously F***ing Long Table. <laughs> uh, because apparently Putin is so concerned about <laughs> catching COVID. Also possibly concerned about, you know, ketchup squirting into them. Uh, <laughs> it seems like the kind of man who would understandably be concerned about his enemies wanting to squirt ketchup or even mustard or even uh, lethal uh, bullets in his direction. <laughs> yeah. So presumably, you know, a level of self-awareness about his own, uh, shall we say controversiality as a, as a political figure. The only thing I will say in terms of Vladimir Putin's concern about catching COVID is that he's actually having a, a meeting uh, tomorrow <laughs> which is being described as hugely ill-advised uh, in regards to trade talks with Brazil, with Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro. And <laughs> Bolsonaro is going to have to take five COVID tests before his meeting with Putin <laughs> as per the arrangements. And that is the first time in human history I found myself in complete agreement with Vladimir Putin, because at this point, <laughs> Bolsonaro's blood is COVID. I think he's had it so many times that he technically, his heart is pumping coronavirus around his body. And I think, like, his balls have got the Delta variant and his ankles have got the Omicron variant. Like, the guy is just a walking disease vector. <laughs> so, I mean, in terms of Putin's strategy, uh, you know, is he going to you know dip his toes in the water? I've heard people say that in terms of a, a little incursion. I mean, for most people... Dipping your toes in the water, in terms of adverse effects, might result in cold toes <laughs> or hot toes or very hot toes and a dinner guest saying they don't want to eat the pasta anymore <laughs> or might result in a bemused goldfish or an angry vicar with a why must you always spoil my christenings look on his face. But for Vladimir Putin, dipping his toe in the water uh, could result in thousands and thousands of deaths. Yeah. So I mean, it's a, it's a different, different life, isn't it? The British Armed Forces Minister, James Heapy, uh, told... BBC that he feared quotes that we are closer than we've been on this continent to war for 70 years um, now uh, this uh, comment uh, caused understandable uh, <laughs> bafflement because in the last 70 years there have been some pretty f***ing major wars on this continent um, which uh, apparently uh, <laughs> Maybe because they didn't feature um, uh, Boris Johnson. I don't know. Uh, it don't don't count. I mean, it, it was kind of, or, or is it that you know now we can? Is, is he just acknowledging that we don't have space in our national mind for anything that isn't to do with the Blitz and World War Two? I 
would like to issue a plea to every minister currently serving in the Conservative government. And I know they're listening. The huge bugles. (laughs) Please, please, take your hand off your cock now. Take your hand (laughs) off your sad, soggy cock. Close down (laughs) the Wikipedia page for the Second World War. Pull up your trousers over your horrible, stinking, flaccid member and read any other book about history. Please. I can beg these Stop jacking it over Winston Churchill's Wikipedia page and read one book about something that happened after 1945. It's absolutely obscene. I think this uh, heapy guy, um, he was uh, one of the very few uh, things that was affected by the Y2K bug. He essentially, <laughs> he was essentially reset. Um, <laughs> December the 31st, 1999 into 2000. So I, that's understandable. Health news now. And, uh, well, good news. Uh, drinking coffee uh, three times a day. Um, means you'll live forever, or at least uh, reduces your risk of death, which is, I mean, pretty much in modern terms of misinterpreting uh, things, uh, living forever. Uh, it's got to be uh, ground coffee, not instant coffee. This research was apparently paid for by a Ken and Ethel Lavazza <laughs> and a Deirdre and Brian Starbuck, um, as well as uh, uh, receiving funding from the Society for Queuing Up for Hot Drinks. Um uh, I mean, I guess in a way, actually, I mean, the, the fact, you know, if you've got a queue for a coffee three times a day, um, again, that gives you less chance of, uh, you know, starting uh, a, a genocide. Um, <laughs> yeah, know, definitely. Logistically, Just logistically, but. yeah. I, 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 I live in some pretty trendy coffee shops, and if I, uh, if I queue for a coffee in them three times a day, I'm getting very little work done. <laughs> and, that's, and, that's a, my, and, that's, my, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it might also explain your bowel issues slightly as well. Um, Listen, how many coffees have I had today? Brackets three. How many shits have I had today? Same answer. <laughs> if uh, I mean, if we can just slightly direct this podcast back to uh, something <laughs> resembling uh, civilization, it does slightly depend on the amount of coffee you drink. Apparently, so it says three coffees a day. Yeah. But if it's three twenty-four gallon fish tanks of <laughs> coffee three times a day, that is potentially. Deleterious to your health, especially if you haven't taken the piranhas out there. <laughs> and a thimble full of coffee three times a day, probably not going to do a huge amount of good unless you down those thimbles of coffee whilst doing some, some proper exercise, like a bit of swearobics, um, bugle favourite uh, form of exercise. And it's very easy watching the news. I'm getting about 12 hours a day of swearobics <laughs> just watching the news. Uh, right. uh, Lloyd, are you, a, are, you a, are you a coffee drinker? I am. I'm much like uh, Nish, I usually have... Um three a day and uh yep. thus far i am impervious to death <laughs> so the the uh the research bears out i think so uh, how old is your your baby's now what three or four months old yeah four months four months and i mean three coffees a day for a actually accelerates uh babies uh growing up um to become impervious adults by up to 73%. So, yeah, just get those espressos down your little kid. Yeah, and Andy's 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 put his money's where his mouth is. He gives his, he's given his kids three coffees a day since they were born and they're both 7 foot, 7 foot tall. I've met both Andy's children. They're absolutely humongous. Yeah, well that's they were both standing behind uh large special prisms at the time. Um, <laughs> I, I, I made them seem taller. Um 
I, I once got described in a uh, in an article, but I think it was by Zadie Smith. She was writing an article. She was up at the Edinburgh Festival, and she described me as a great tall man. <laughs> Which, I mean, even in this age of misinformation, I'm five foot ten. <laughs> I, I mean, um, anyway, uh, it is particularly effective. We, we are, we're uh, just letting great man go, though. We're saying that that's <laughs> we're saying that that's absolutely fine. We're saying we're saying that Zadie Smith calling well, you a great man is absolutely. We're only quibbling with tall of that. I, I assume actually, I'd assume the great was with tall. Oh right, uh, okay. as in a size size thing, which maybe you know, half right. Um, uh, it's not particularly effective uh, drinking your three coffees uh, if you uh, drink them at the same time as uh, living in a war zone <laughs> or using uh, um, froth absinthe in place of froth milk uh, or uh, being an amateur improvised trapeze artist or dressing up as a zebra and standing in a lion enclosure uh, trying to sell them skinny, skinny almond lattes. So, I mean, it's, it's all about context itself and the case with these these health reports. Uh, in um, further health news, lentils uh, can add 10 years to your life. 200 grams of lentils a day, is that part of your uh, both of your diets as well? Dal, the dal supremacy. <laughs> if the, if the, if that is really true, this planet is gonna it one day be exclusively Indians. <laughs> I, 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 I'm excited for it. I'm excited for the Dal Empire. I, I very much uh, enjoy a Dal as well, but um, yeah. I usually combine it with a Rogan Josh or Peshwari Nan, three pints of Kingfisher, and a Duke box sized <laughs> platter of Poppadom. So I don't know. If that would cancel out the health benefits of the lentils. Right. Well, it just, just says lentils. You know, 200 grams of lentils a day will give you 10 years extra. So that's one bonus year of life per 20 grams of lentils. So if you simply eat 80 kilograms of lentils <laughs> a day, you'll live to the age of 4,000. Which does raise the question, is it time to change the UK's national anthem from God Save the Queen to God, can you feed the Queen a massive bucket of dal every day? <laughs> I mean, we need something to juice our national anthem up. It, I mean, Lloyd, this is, I mean, this is the Six Nations rugby is on uh, at the moment, and it is the time of year where, as uh, someone from England, I get the biggest anthem jealousy when you, know, when you see the, the Welsh rugby team with uh, the Welsh national anthem compared with God Save the Queen. It's, uh, I, I, in terms of the, the gap between national anthem quality, I mean, that's, I mean, that's like J- Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Playing, playing alongside um, I don't know Boris Me. Johnson on the guitar. Frankly, yeah, or yeah, Nish on the guitar. <laughs> I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of uh, God Save the Queen because you're essentially asking someone who doesn't exist to protect someone who shouldn't. <laughs> it's like asking uh, Spider Man to look out for Rolf Harris. <laughs> Do the uh, do the English uh, supporters still sing um, "Swing Low, Sweet Chariot"? Uh, well, yes, um, but there's been there's been a lot of talk about this over the last couple of years, uh, which is this this um is a rugby song sung by well, it says a rugby song. It's a, it's an old um, spiritual uh, sung by that was adopted by England rugby fans a few decades ago, and there's some dispute over exactly where. It came from, uh, but there's, and there's some that say, "Oh, it's just a rugby song," and there's others that say it has uh, deeply troublesome <laughs> race, racist heritage. Um, but the problem is when you've got eighty thousand people who've been drinking since nine a.m. 
uh, it's quite hard to make them think about the uh, historical context of uh, of songs. Yeah, the England fans definitely adopted that song uh, in much the same way that uh, England adopted India for uh, <laughs> <laughs> a period uh, between the 19th and 20th centuries. In other health news, uh, one in three Americans contains toxic weed killers, <laughs> uh, according to a recent study. And um, this literally contains toxic weed killer, not just spiritually um, in terms of how they vote. They actually <laughs> physically contain traces of the herbicide 2,4-D, which is short for 2,4-dichlorophenoxyacetic acid, sometimes also shortened to 24 Six eight motorway. Um, it was uh, used also in um, Agent Orange in the Vietnam War, uh, which again we could include in our stupidest wars uh, catalogue. And uh, the poison running through their veins in America—it's been widely used in agriculture as well as by gardening enthusiasts. Despite concerns that it's bad for people, wildlife, <laughs> and the environment in general, and causes a range of diseases, childhood cancers have been linked to reproductive problems and birth defects. But it's allowed. Because of the yeah whatever clause of the rules of free market economics, um, but a, th- a third of Americans contains contain toxic toxic weed. I don't know. If, can you tell by looking at them? I'm not sure. This has actually been a real problem at the Winter Olympics because um, lots of the athletes they've been uh, testing negative for drugs, but uh, positive for Ron Seal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it could. I, mean, I guess it could be a performance-enhancing substance that, you know, if. Uh, well, I mean, it, know, I mean, it, I mean, if your sport is least weeds in your body, then yes, I think it is definitely. <laughs> it definitely, like, if the sport that you're engaged in is Olympic weed killing, a sport so stupid it may as well be at the f-ing goddamn pointless Winter Olympics. <laughs> you're definitely going to be at an advantage if your gob murders weed. Uh, I mean, do, do you think it's something that we need more of in general? Um, <laughs> I don't... Bear in mind that, you know, America's one of the world's you know, most successful nations, objectively, um, in, depending on how you measure it uh, and if you measure it wrongly. Um, so, I mean, it all used to be all the rage, didn't it? Uh, to, just generally around the world, toxic... To- I mean, pe- people got a bit... Maybe this is... The, is, this, is this more evidence of the woke ruining the world? <laughs> that, you know, we can't just... F- blast toxic weed killer into the mouths of children anymore like we used to. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's People like the woke left has cancelled pumping your children full of weed killer. <laughs> I think Is the this... walk, yeah, the walk, they um, came out and said, actually, we do need bees. And that, <laughs> that, that upset a lot of people in the toxic weed killer industries. But they were like, bees are sort of important in the world and how stuff works. So yeah, <laughs> the social justice warriors <laughs> ruining people's picnics. <laughs> no wonder there's a percentage of the population we can't convince to give a shit about the lives of black and brown people. They don't even care about bees. <laughs> <laughs> COVID news now, and the renowned crooner Barry Manilow has become a weapon, a weapon of of war in the COVID culture wars. Uh, New Zealand have played the songs of the notoriously, um, well, f***ing irritating singer, correct technical uh, technical term, Um, Barry uh, Barry Manilow, against uh, sort of 
anti-vax COVID sceptic uh, protesters. Uh, Lloyd, uh, you are our Southern Hemisphere uh, music and COVID protest correspondent. What a remit, Lloyd. What a remit. Well, it's, Huge it's win it's one of the great moments in in southern hemispherical musical cultural history, isn't it? <laughs> the comedian Greg Davis told me he was once um, doing uh, like meeting people, you know, for photos and stuff after a tour show, and a woman came up to him and said, um, "You are in uh, one of my top three performers of all time," <laughs> and he said. Who were the other two? And she said, Lloyd Langford and Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> of all time. Uh, yeah, we're, well, we've is... all got a very similar vibe going on, I think. Yeah, Davies, Langford, Manilow. Of course, Manilow. Of course, <laughs> that's he... the way you finish that sequence. When I uh, heard that um, they'd um, deployed Manalo to try and move on the protesters, I was wondering, was it the music or um, photographs of his surgery? <laughs> <laughs> he has transformed into he has transformed himself into what I can best describe as vacuum-packed, reformed ham. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's kosher if it's been vacuum-packed. Um, <laughs> I very much enjoyed that they were playing all of this um, sort of um, generally accepted bad music to try and move the performers on, and then uh, musician James Blunt actually volunteered his own music. (laughs) (laughs) He volunteered um, his own music um, to turn up to play as a joke, and then the um, New Zealand, I think, minister who was in charge of the playlist gratefully added him to the playlist. (laughs) Well, it, the, it was the Speaker of the New Zealand Parliament uh, who, was, who was apparently uh, <laughs> playing DJ in this, uh, this uh, effort to move along the protests, uh, Trevor Mallard, and uh, he certainly has not ducked his responsibility. Oh. Put together a, a quacking list of things that will uh, surely uh, make the protesters be quiet. Um, uh, I mean, Nish, what, what, I mean, what music would you, when you're in a, a situation like that, what, what's your go-to track for dispersing? Absolutely no need for any sort of music, Andy. Just set up a PA system and get me on that stage. <laughs> <laughs> once the, once the uh, avalanche of bread rolls has been thrown, those people will disperse. And I, I, I have seen, I have looked at quite a bit of footage from the New Zealand protests, the Canadian trucker protests, and some of the anti-vax protests in this country. And I would say there is a very, very thin overlap between people who enjoy my comedy and people who are at those vaccine, anti-vax marches. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I I just, I get a, I got a look at them and I thought, not Kumar fans. So yeah. I think you stick me on there. I think that, I think those guys will be, I think, I think they'll be with Lloyd in Australia. Right. If you stick me on at the Wellington, and I have done some bad gigs in Auckland, as Lloyd as Lloyd will attest to, Lloyd Lloyd actually did a few of them with me. Uh, yeah. I think you're um, doing yourself a disservice, Nish. I, I believe um, that the trucking community are no longer using CB radios and just uh, listening to uh, audio versions of your stand-up specials. <laughs> <laughs> 
finally, some more news from your hemisphere, uh, Lloyd. You're a, well, your adopted hemisphere. Uh, sad news: the um, koalas are well having a bad, bad millennium. They're listed <laughs> as uh, as endangered. Um, the notoriously uh, lazy, uh, literal tree huggers. Um, I mean, this. I mean, the fact that koala. I mean, they are very much the national symbol of Australia. Uh, in that you know they hang around, you know, not not doing a lot. Um, so I mean, what what uh, it must be striking at the very heart of Australian national identity. This it has been an incredibly uh, bad week for Australia because of this uh, koala news, but also um, the soap opera Neighbours um, is under threat as well uh, for the oh, exact same yeah. reason as the koalas. Yeah. There's been a, a chlamydia outbreak. Um, <laughs> the natural habitat of uh, the residents of uh, Ramsey Street has been threatened. Yes, um, Lasseter's yeah, has yeah. burnt down again. <laughs> oh dear! I mean, well, I mean, the fire, fires have had a terrible effect on, but both the koalas and, and neighbours, as, as you were saying. I mean, they've been around for a, a, almost the same amount of time, I think, as well in, <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> I mean, this is this. I mean, sorry to be kind of brutally capitalistic about it, but a koala is not one of the species that really we should be looking to get rid of in the search of a more efficient. No, you planet. know what, Andy? If I may quote Oliver Dowden, woke culture is weakening Western civilization. And this kind of <laughs> leftist, liberal nonsense that everyone should just be alive is exactly the kind of thing that's preventing us from properly dealing with Vladimir Putin's aggression in the Ukraine. <laughs> I actually think as well the um, the chlamydia that ravages the um, koala community can be traced back to a day trip to Melbourne Zoo by Shane Warne. <laughs> <laughs> they, they kept that out of the story. Yeah. Well, who did appear in Neighbours as well, Shane Warne? Who appeared as himself in, in Neighbours as well. Well, it's taken over 700 test tickets. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of this week's uh, this week's bugle. Um, uh, we will, as I say, have uh, full exclusive updates on the Ukraine war uh, over the next uh, next few weeks and everything else that is uh, happening in the universe. Don't forget to buy your tickets to my uh, imminent satirist for hire UK tour beginning in Leamington Spa on the twenty fifth of February. I then have shows in Newcastle, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Barnard Castle, Salford, North Allerton, Lincoln, Chorley, Birmingham, Cheltenham, Leicester, Maidenhead, Aldershot, Nottingham, Bristol, Exeter, Cambridge, and Milton Keynes um, in a slightly uh, scattergun uh, geographical <laughs> schedule. Then uh, there are some shows at the Soho Theatre in London in May. Buy tickets to all of them and send your uh, requests for topics to be satirised to satirise this at satiristforhire.com. Uh, Nish, uh, uh, give details of uh, your current tours because we're we're um, following each other in some of the yeah same yeah. I'm in Leamington Spa uh, I, I, as we record uh, in two days. I'll be uh, I'll be in Leamington Spa on Thursday the seventeenth. Uh, tickets are sparse. Tickets are genuinely sparse. However, I am in Blackburn on Friday, and let me tell you, tickets are blooming. <laughs> there is a sur- there is a surplus of tickets. I don't know if someone in Blackburn has taken out sanctions against me, but let me tell you, they have taken out some sanctions. <laughs> there are um, 
10,000 holes in Blackburn, Lancashire, yeah. and they're all in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite 10,000, Lloyd, but it's not far off. <laughs> um, I uh, yeah. I'm, otherwise, I'm on tour. I'm all over the UK uh, in uh, March and April. Tickets are available at nishkumar.co.uk. Uh, Lloyd, anything to plug? I am touring in Australia, and I'm hopefully uh, coming back to the UK, uh, doing some Edinburgh Fringe and some other gigs and stuff. Uh, June, July. Well, August, well, September, well. So look who's coming crawling back. <laughs> to the country that he was and I'm quoting directly from the horse's mouth here too good for <laughs> because it was full of shit covered peasants How uh, the idea Lloyd that after you said all that to me in private that you would now come back to this country I, I think it's an absolute disgrace this is the podcast you come for truth uh, thank you for listening Buglers on the subject of truth we will now play you out with some lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers uh, to uh, join the Bugle voluntary subscription scheme to give a one off or occurring donation of whatever sum you wish go to buglepodcast.com and click donate Jake Freeman sometimes contemplates why the ancient Romans could be bothered to do massive mosaics like they did I tried doing a mosaic of a jar of lemon curd once, says Jake, and I was bored before I'd even finished the lid. Bearing in mind life expectancy for the ancient Romans was pretty short, it's a wonder they wasted their time mosaicing the hell out of walls and floors and stuff like that, instead of getting hammered and fighting lions like they do in most of the films. Darren McNamara wonders whether there will ever be an end to superhero films. He has calculated that if the current proliferation of superheroes continues at its current rate, by the year 2374 there will be more fictional superheroes than real human beings in the world. Clearly, speculates Darren, the market ought then to collapse, but I reckon the big film studios will keep on crapping them out because it's easier than thinking about tedious stuff like plot and characters. Besides, by then, most humans will be able to fly or fire spiders' webs out of their cyborginous arms anyway, so these films will function as gritty realism at the same time. Having been forced to watch the film The Devil Wears Prada at a work event, Andrew Bosworth found himself drifting off and wondering whether the devil would in fact wear branded clothes at all. If he did, I reckon he'd probably have his own label, says Andrew. Most likely, he'd probably wear a fire-retardant onesie accessorised with a specially modified helmet with special holes for his horns. Frankly, I can't imagine the devil has got the time to give a flying one about fashion. He works in a results business. He just wants practical work clothes. Stephen Pratt does not understand the fuss about Isaac Newton's discovery of gravity. Sure, says Stephen, I get that big Isaac knew one end of an equation from another and could wow the wimple off the most celebatious of nuns with his truly sensational physics. Not, of course, that that would have been the way Isaac rolled. By glamorising gravity, however, he probably held back the development of air and space travel by 200 years. He should have kept his mouth shut, ideally by shoving the apple that fell on his head straight into his over-scientific gob. And finally, Ed Ball, meanwhile, has a theory that trees have no real concept of nationality. Don't ask me why, says Ed, but I'd be surprised to find that trees are that fussed about labelling themselves as being from one place or another. The Dutch elm, the English oak, the Lichtensteinian chestnut, I just don't think they'd be that impressed with those labels, to be honest, even though they do, to be fair, tend to stick to their local areas for life. I think trees probably see themselves as representatives of the plant kingdom, and given that they've all seen so many relatives and predecessors hacked to pieces and turned into furniture, ships and the like, I doubt they'll have too much emotional affiliation to any human political entity, country or otherwise. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye.
Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.